0: Hello and welcome to FTD Talk. My name is John James and I'm writer and campaigner for male victims of female perpetrated domestic violence. Every week on the show, I have been talking to male victims of abuse on a number of subjects from family court to domestic violence to even rape. This week, I have something different for you. This week, I will be talking to Deborah Powney, a PhD psychology candidate in recovery and growth in male and female intimate partner violence. She'll be talking to me about her survey and explaining why the survey was created and what it shows. This is Deborah's interview. So hi Deb, welcome to FTD Talk. Thank you. And uh, before we start, can you tell me and, and the listeners, a little bit about yourself and the kind of research that you do.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm a PhD candidate um, at the University of Central Lancashire. Um, I've now been studying um, victims of abuse for, oh crikey, going on for five years. Um, and previous to that, I was in industry. I, I worked in um, in business, in uh, big business. Um, but um, I reached a point in my life when I decided to follow my passion um, due to um, my first marriage being um, horrifically abusive, both physically, um, which was horrible when it happened, but, but relatively rare. But um, every day of my life was an experience of coercive control. And yeah. um, I met my husband now, my second husband um, whilst I was, uh, had been separated, for uh, divorced for a number of years from my previous husband, but was still being dragged through court by him. And um, I was working full time and then got to the point where I thought, I really need to do something a bit different with my life. And my husband asked me two very simple but life-changing questions. One was, um, what have you always wanted to do with your life? which was psychology and the second question was what's stopping you (laughs) and um, the bizarre thing is is that that really simple question is quite profound because you then you can't really get make the excuses not to do what your heart desires so I went back to university with one burning question in my mind which was how did I get myself into that mess and from that question I discovered such a vast array of not just current literature and research in the field but also gaps in the field uh predominantly the the gap of male victims of intimate partner violence um and then that led me to try to explore why there was a gap in the the evidence because as a a victim stroke survivor of um, domestic abuse. It had never crossed my mind that men couldn't be. I understood that women were, and I didn't feel like I fit the sort of narrow template of what was described as a female victim of abuse. But having suffered that level of what could be described as torture, it never entered my head as a woman that that would exclude men but it was interesting that the literature that i was reading clearly did and it just it i've said this often but it led me to open the lid and jump down a rabbit hole of research and i haven't yet hit the bottom and i don't expect to so it's um, my, my actual um, PhD is called rather convolutedly compensatory consequences of intimate partner violence in male and female victims. And what that is, uh, in a nutshell, is looking at how uh, male and female victims of intimate partner violence adapt positively and how I investigate how they can move from something really horrific to use strengths that may develop as they adapt to the trauma they have been through. So some of the evidence that came through from a meta-analysis I did was that people can find that they uh, really appreciate their friendship bonds more um, and make uh, an effort with their friendships and relationships often because victims of partner violence have been isolated from friends and family and and they gain a real appreciation, not only for those people that are in their lives, but also empathy for those people around them. uh, There tends to be a really beautifully um, opposed adaption in as much as we really have empathy a lot of empathy and understanding for people but we also don't tolerate bullshit and i think there's a real skill in that as well (laughs) so so, um they they victims of of abuse tend to uh, those that are positive positively adapted tend to have this this beautifully encapsulated real belief and empathy in people but they can sift out bullshit instantaneously <laughs> so um but although that seems like a very narrow topic the research that underpins that is vastly wide so yeah. i i end up looking at the the politics in this arena the industry of money and business that's in this arena Um, Why even ideology, religious-based ideology and cult membership I research to better understand why there is this exclusion of male victims and it really is kind of grounded in what you could call a religious ideology of um, certainly radical feminism. Um, and the beliefs of a large proportion of what is predominantly female victims that, that believe the dogma that is being put out there but also if I take a step back into my former life there is a huge amount of money embedded in this and as a consequence of that there are Thousands upon thousands of people's livelihoods and lifestyles embedded into keeping the patriarchal version of domestic abuse running.
0: Yeah, I noticed um, on, I think it's the Women's Aid website that it actually says domestic abuse is a gendered crime.
1: Yeah, actually, the the sentence continues from that by saying women are victimised because they are women. Um, which is ideological Uh, it is in no way scientific and it's also my one of the biggest bugbears I have with that level of ideology is that that's harmful for women and it prevents recovery because if you're a woman that believes that that particular dogma um, how how do you ever not be a victim because you're a victim by accident of birth and not only are you trying to map out your own recovery and probably that of your family and i don't just mean children i mean wider family um you've you've how how are you going to overturn gender yeah
0: yeah you see what i mean
1: so it's there's there's a real Victim status, and I've and I've said this in a, a prior interview before. What they tend to do is then start talking about empowerment. That you know, we want to empower women, we want to empower them, and 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 that that can that's harmful as well because there's a real difference between empowerment in the word in the way they are framing it and recovery. Because I'm seeing a lot of women that are. And if you could see me, I'm doing the inverted commas sign and patterns, mm. um, yeah. that are displaying clear tra- trauma response and really could benefit from some, some cognitive behavioral therapy because their thought patterns have become distorted. They think in black and white consequences. They are sifting data that's, or information that's being put in front of them. And all the very aspects that would be treated by a cognitive behavioural therapist. So I don't think that level of ideology helps women at all.
0: Do you think that women then are brought up to be to see themselves as victims, or do you think?
1: I I don't think women are brought up that way at all. I think Mm. um, all the friends that I have and I'm, I, obviously I'm not speaking for all women, but all the friends I have, and uh, you can imagine that we've spoken at length of this topic because I'm fairly passionate about it. Um, non, none of them identify as feminists and all of them are really strong, capable business owners or mothers or whatever. And there is not a whiff of being brought up as a victim yeah. However, what I would say is that organizations like Women's Aid have put themselves as the forefront of and the first gate, as it were, for female victims to contact if they need help and support. And I can speak from experience. And I, I must say, I when I was going through my hell, um, I did phone Women's Aid, and they put me in contact with. Uh, a local organization that absolutely helped me and supported me, but the message that came through from women's aid was very much of that ilk you know this has happened to you because you're a woman, and know uh, we help women it's a it's a huge issue for women. It was very much framed that way, and I didn't accept that even before I'd set a foot into the the level of psychology i'm I'm doing now because I know for a fact that my ex-partner didn't abuse me because I was a woman. Um, I didn't know... I I couldn't name why he was abusing me at the time, but now I can absolutely um, say that it was narcissistic personality disorder. But I knew it wasn't because I was a woman. Yeah. Um, So I think if you're uh, a woman that is less able to identify that or has been beaten down into a state of, you know, any kind of caught in a storm. Why wouldn't you believe that? This is a a credible organisation that's been established for a number of years that has a huge amount of public support and a huge amount of governmental funding. So why would you question that? And that's my concern, that and then you, you're on the route to empowerment, but not really recovery. Yeah,
0: yeah, the, uh, there is a, a clear difference between those and the. Um, this brings us neatly onto your uh, to the survey that you've uh, been having male victims of abuse filling in. Yeah. Um, what's the uh, What does the survey measure and? How are you conducting the survey?
1: Okay, so um, this survey, I, um, I, I, my desk is now in my um, bedroom um, because it keeps me away from the melee in the house. <laughs> but um, I um, sat on my bed and scribbled that um, the beginnings of that survey out when we the lockdown got announced. And the reason I did that is I had a study that was due to um, kick off called walking to recovery that um, has been furloughed, but will be back uh, one day in the very near future. And that was about um, assessing walking a walking program for uh, male victims. So what I thought is, um, it's going to be some time before I can get a group of men together out in the Lake District, but I really need to get some information about male victims and I kind of want to take advantage of people being stuck at home. (laughs) So my thinking behind it was that um, I can make this a, a relatively long survey and I wanted to address some of the gaps in the research that I have found, but also some of the uh, reasons that the gendered model uses to dismiss male victims. An example of which is often if the gendered model is challenged, um, predominantly feminist researchers will come back and say, well, the reason it has more impact on females is because men don't feel fear in the way that women do. So I'm, I'm a, a Northern lass and I ask a question to get an answer, not to feign any kind of intellect. So I asked that question, uh, were you or are you afraid of your abusive partner? And um, the beauty of the information that's come through from my survey, survey is the honesty that's in there because A certain proportion of men said, no, I wasn't afraid of my partner. But the overwhelming proportion of men said yes. Mm -hmm. And that was not just because of physical abuse, which some of the stories were just horrific. I I spent a good deal of my time utterly immersed in this data, which meant there was at least one part of every day where I I cried. Um, they, They were afraid physically of their partner they were afraid psychologically of their partner but they were also afraid for their children and yeah. an example of which was a man who said that he was in his relationship for 35 years and he left last year and i asked two other questions why did you stay in the relationship and then how what made you leave the relationship um and He answered that what made him leave the relationship was um, because my final child had got married and left home. And he'd stayed for 35 years because he knew if he left, he wouldn't get his children and they would be subjected to the abuse he had to endure. So he'd spent 35 years of his life shielding his children until they were happily embedded in their own life. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that made me cry more than even the the torturous physical violence, because that's a life sentence, you know, and he given up his life to protect his children, and there's an honor in that, as sad as it is i'm I'm kind of tearing up now, but the the you would literally get less for murder
0: yeah yeah you would so, so
1: and, it, it just it just smacks and i'm I'm. it's not a life wasted because he protected his children and he you know he did everything that that he could but it's to me it just made me think that he'd given up 35 years of his life
0: quite yeah and, and i i know speaking from experience that you you definitely are afraid of your partner yeah the fear is real. there's
1: another guy who left 10 years ago and um um there's 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 a lot of closed questions um we obviously do all the demographics and stuff because that helps us analyze data and there's a lot of closed questions like yes no maybe all the rest of it but there's also a lot of open text questions and then there's also four psychological scales and it's probably worth me briefly going through those to tell you what I was looking for. So yeah, the first the, the first scale is called um, a, a controlling behaviours scale, and the the reason that's in there is twofold. One, um, my supervisor is Nicola Graham Kevin, and she developed that after her throughout her PhD, and she did her PhD under John Archer. Who did the first meta-analysis showing that women um, are equally or slightly highly higher when committing abuse against a partner? So, um, and she also did some work with Maurice Strauss, and he did the conflict tactics scale that has received a lot of criticism. So, this behaviour uh, controlling behaviour scale looks at exactly what it says on the tin: the the level of controlling behaviours within the relationship. The second scale is called an impact of events scale, and that measures PTSD symptomology. It isn't a defined, you now have PTSD, but it measures the level of symptomology that's still around in that particular individual, because it's based on the last seven days. Um, Then I have uh, what's called the COPE, which is a coping scale, and that looks at 14 different ways of coping. And that can be anything from um, use of alcohol um, to planning or um, various different structural ways of of coping. And then finally, there's what's called the post-traumatic growth inventory that maps out positive adaption, like I was talking about at the beginning of this interview. And that will kind of give me a snapshot of how intensely abusive the relationship was, what the impact of that abuse was, how men have coped with that abuse and how they've recovered. So it gives me a really, um, I, I always use quite descriptive words, but a really beautiful way of assessing the impact and also the compensatory consequences that I'm researching in my PhD. So, um, so one of the things, for example, to go back, uh, a man, a man was, um, one of the things that are measured his sleep patterns and he, th- this guy was clearly still having issues with sleep. And when I went back through his data, he was saying that he was afraid of his partner because she used to wake him up, uh, by pouring a boiling kettle on him. And he'd left that relationship ten years ago, but is still struggling with sleep. Now, absolutely, you'd still be struggling with sleep <laughs> Yeah, because yeah,
0: definitely. you've been
1: woken up by. I nearly swore. Then you've been woken up by a boiling kettle.
0: Swear it! Swear it! Uh, go, just go for it.
1: <laughs> well, seriously, my, my. When I looked at that data, it was like it was like a fucking boiling kettle. No wonder you can't sleep. Yeah. But I think people there's the pressure on people to kind of recover without acknowledging the fact that I would be more worried if you just kind of brush that off. It's like, yeah. oh, well, you know, that's that's that was then, this is now. Because the the reason you get PTSD and this is something else that people um, don't don't really talk about lot a lot is that. PTSD is is almost a survival mechanism you know you are put on hyper alertness and your your body reacts a certain way because you have experienced long term and persistent abuse yeah so it's almost normal and I know you get there is treatment for post-traumatic stress and 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 disorder but There's all I feel there needs to be more understanding about why that is now part of your being. And I'm not sure it's necessarily communicated in that manner. It is definitely seen as something that needs treatment because it's detrimental to that person. But your body and your brain learns from experience, and that is a horrible experience. So go on.
0: Uh, I was just going to say, it, it doesn't surprise me that you that you say that. When I spoke to uh, the organisation Abused Men in Scotland, over 18 months they'd had four guys call them, and that's exactly what had happened to them. They'd been woken up by a, a freshly boiled kettle of water being poured over them.
1: It's it's terrifying how... Yeah. Uh, it makes me feel sick, actually, and there's there's a, a small part of me that makes me feel ashamed to be a woman because, and that's not internalized misogyny, the mythical crap that feminists throw at me, <laughs> but um it's I felt ashamed because I women do weaponize you know, and they weaponize with horrifically damaging effect, something so simple in the home, a cattle that we you know. Me and my husband shout at each other every day. If you're not the kettle on, you know, it's just a, a normal part of life. But then they also attack when men are vulnerable. So again, this utter bullshit of men are far stronger than women, and, you know, in a, in a hand, to, and, and it's kind of positioned as this hand to hand boxing match. And it really isn't. It really isn't like that. And
0: that's also premeditated as well isn't it you've had to plan that out you've had to switch the kettle on and
1: well to be honest so is smashing someone's skull in 20 times with a hammer but we've seen the consequences of how that elevates someone to a, a celebrity victim status recently haven't we yeah you know so if if someone can smash their husband's head in with a hammer 20 times and 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 have a sentence quash for that you know that 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 what's a boiling kettle gonna mean
0: <laughs> that's a, a scary thought when you put it like that but
1: it's true, yeah, you know, and let's not let let's point out another thing this sentence wasn't utterly redacted; she still served a number of years under the banner of manslaughter, but now it's heralded as is celebrity yeah and that's sick
0: yeah well anything can make you celebrity now can't you but that's like that's just something else
1: we've actually seen a rise of this there is and this this disturbs me because there's um the the most common form of domestic abuse is uh bi-directional yeah there's um partners being abusive to one another in in one shape or format Mm -hmm. so the the i i've said this before that there seems to be this um uh fairy dust that is sprinkled over a victim even if in this case a woman has is also committed abuse at equal measure to her partner who is abusive there is something sprinkled over her that says as a woman you cannot be abusive and it stems back to the, the, the deluce model and not only can you not be in any way um, held responsible for your part of this behavior because we're just going to transmute that to self-defense so don't worry about that mm-hmm. but everything that you've done prior to this event is now um, dismissed and anything you do post this event is dismissed because we'll just write that off as trauma reaction. Mm-hmm. So the the females in this instance are given um, an angelic status, but then not only that, but they are given some kind of professional status where they're trooped onto TV and asked, what should we be doing now about domestic abuse? And then they're doing training programs and having conferences with the domestic abuse commissioner when they've got, quite frankly, another swear coming up, fuck all professional experience in this arena. Yeah. And I also think there's a, a level of narcissistic victims that are pushing this arena that shouldn't be allowed anywhere near it. And they're guiding, training, uh, ag- political agendas, funding, uh, and they shouldn't be anywhere near it. It's terrifying that someone that has been by that status, why the hell would I do a master's and a PhD? I could have just got myself out of that horrific marriage and then just go... And now i 'm an expert
0: yeah yeah
1: you are an expert of your own situation, but that doesn't give you the experience to then start guiding political and and lawful agendas, but that seems to be what we do absolutely well, terrifying
0: well with your with your survey, well first of all. Um, What did what did the results reveal?
1: Well, um, I only closed the survey on Sunday, so um, I haven't done all the statistical analysis yet. That will take a number of weeks because there's so much. But um, I've been told um, by my supervisor, who has spent at least two decades in this field, that this is the largest data set of its type for male victims in existence. And it went worldwide. And I, to, to, to be honest with you, I was thinking, if we get a couple of hundred, that is enough for a, a quite nice study. It will be published. It will go out there. Because if you actually start delving into this uh, academic data, there are some really small sample sizes about. So 200 would have been great. I'm closing out at 1,300 and 40 completed surveys
0: wow.
1: and this is all over the world i had uh, over 360 from india i think 280 in the uk um almost i think about 170 in the us uh 200 and odd in australia but then various other uh amounts throughout the world even Colombia. Uh, Croatia all sorts of places that this has come from and what I'm seeing across those cultures and considering that I would have thought that India might have been portrayed more as a patriarchal society um, the similarities for male victims across cultures are terrifyingly familiar you know it does it, it's looking like this the 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 results show me that it doesn't matter what age group you're in it doesn't matter what occupation you do and therefore occupation can show you the level of um uh economic status um the religion uh ethnicity culture everything it doesn't matter. Is what's so coming it,
0: through. It flies in the face of most uh, most uh, research that I've read, then, because yeah. they say there's a gender gap, there's a, a well, a, not gender gap, age gap, and nope. economic status gap. No. Nope. So no gaps at all. Like nope. so, Wow.
1: So what what this tells me, um, and then there's there's different ways that the men are abused. Um, so, mm-hmm. say so for, for example, in India, computing and, uh, and mathematics came through with the, is the largest um, occupation. But that's because there's a huge economic push towards those arenas within India um, as as part of their economic growth into the the, the world economy. Um, but there is a lot of stuff there that I'm going to have to come to grips with fairly quickly about a law called 498A, which is a dowry law, which can not only hold men accountable to their abuse, to their alleged abuse to their wife, it also holds the men's family responsible. And this law is now being used. Uh, as blackmail and abuse towards men by women Um, and to to the extent that I've been contacted by family members of Indian victims that have said their sons or nephews, aunties play a big part in the culture in India um, have either hung themselves or set themselves on fire Oh wow So um suicide is unbelievably high for men in in, in India. So in to give you a cross-matching for that, um in Australia, the largest um occupation the, the occupation that received the largest um, number of surveys were um construction and, and building, because the trade and tradies, they call them in Australia, have um there's a lot of building and construction that's going on in australia but traditionally um construction has been seen as uh well we know there's a higher level of suicides in construction in the uk but maybe this goes some way to to answering that if we're seeing that in australia there's a predominant push that the tradesmen are being abused by their wives you know is 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 that yeah. been analyzed in the suicide data for construction in the UK. So we're able I'm able to look at some of the patterns that lead it that that are being seen across cultures and apply them to other cultures. So if I can find a pattern in Australia with the tradies, then obviously I'd like to get in touch with an organization that works for suicide in um, men in construction and say, have you explored if any of them are victims of partner abuse? Because yeah. I found this in Australia, in, a, in, a, in a, a place that's dominated by tradesmen. We found that there was a, a high correlation between domestic abuse and, and, and that particular occupation. So there's there's so much the data is so rich um, that you can really start piecing things together. And for example, what's really come out because I, I really wanted to debunk all these questions that, that the feminist literature puts forward about why male victims shouldn't be taken seriously. And yeah. um, it's one of them is 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 literally about how they get ptsd symptoms and all the rest of it um but that is also linked highly with the coercive control laws so feminist data says that um women are more likely to be victims of um coercive control because men commit more coercive control than women and that is taken without even asking any men if they commit or experience coercive control so the, co- the coercive behaviour scale that we've got in in my survey shows that they are highly likely to be victims of coercive control. So what Nikki and I—that's um, my supervisor—are doing at, as we speak are, is developing a survey that solely concentrates as men as victims of coercive control, and we're going to get that out within within the next week or so.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so that we can get an absolute focus on that. And that you know, that's, that's, has implications for the coercive control law in the UK that was really pushed through by the feminist agenda. And I'm, I'm really glad it is part of our law, coercive control, having experienced it myself, but it shouldn't be gendered. And and, and yeah. we've got data, and hope to gather more data to show why it shouldn't be.
0: See, I I, I did an interview with a, a a police inspector who I spoke to her about co- coercive control, and she said that it's really difficult for a uh, a man to uh, prove coercive control because the bar is set at being kept prisoner. Yeah yeah Don't, that's that's not the bar for a woman
1: no but we are um, be, believe me john we are working on this and there are various things that i'm working on within my phd about coercive control that will end up being completed outside of my phd so yeah. for example i'm working on um an ai project that will um if if successful will be able to identify coercive control in any text and that includes text that has been transcribed from speech so not only will it give you be able to identify coercive control it will be able to identify the type of coercive control and end the document with a percentage of how much of this document contains coercive control and i'm hoping that once that's tested and out in the field that it could be used by individuals it could be used by the police it could be used by solicitors it could be used by the judiciary in all its ways, shapes and forms because the problem with coercive control is that it's if you take each incident, incident in isolation it doesn't seem abusive because a lot of it is very and like a lot of psychology, it only becomes an issue when it becomes an exaggeration of normal behaviour. So yeah. we all have fallings out with our partners. We've all called our partners names. The problem is with coercive control is that it's a consistent and persistently degrading pattern. You know, And, and I will tell you the script that I used to have. The, the script that used to be given to me on a daily basis was I was a shit mom. I was shit at my job, I was a shit wife, I was crap at this, all my friends hated me, my family were shit, you know, it's they go through it like a script. But yeah. if I was to show someone one text, it's just like, oh, well, you know, maybe they're upset, maybe they didn't sleep very well, you know, all the rest of it. And what humans are shit at is spotting consistent and persistent patterns. But what AI, and and sorry, that's artificial intelligence for for anyone that doesn't know, is particularly good at, and and I'm talking about all the algorithms that look at our advertising and all that stuff. What AI is particularly good at is spotting persistent and consistent patterns. Yeah. So I I have no, I have absolute understanding that the, the police person you spoke to is saying, You know it's really difficult for anyone to evidence coercive control but for men they've got several other issues a the bar is set differently for them but there's also like like we were talking earlier about the the person you um interviewed about their sexual assault there's also this barrier of admitting it i am a victim of domestic abuse But then there's also even before you get to that point, it's even recognizing it's domestic abuse because our society led by this really harmful and poisonous ideology is set up this whole structure that only women can be abused. So how's a man going to understand that he's he's trying to break that structural understanding of what domestic abuse is before he even goes on to then start recognising that he is a victim of abuse. So the idea that a police officer is saying, well, it's really difficult for men, uh, no shit, Sherlock. You know, because there's several several different layers before he even would get into the police having to assess it.
0: Yeah, I've, I've heard that on this show, that, that people have said, and, and, you know, I, I said, why didn't you leave? And uh, they said, I didn't even know it was abuse.
1: Exactly. And I can tell you something, hand on heart. That I didn't realise how bad my abuse, that I was being abused. It was I, I realised it was horrible, the situation is. I felt tortured. I didn't know who I was, what I was, what time of the day it was. I just knew that I had to concentrate on making sure that everything was right. So I didn't get that abuse every day. But I'd I'd kind of written it off as, oh, um, his his mum and dad split up when he was younger. Oh, he's got an issue with alcohol. Oh, he's he's just stressed. Oh, you know, you you write it off. And also I'd taken my marriage vows very seriously. I didn't want to bring my children up without a father. Uh, You know, there was all sorts of elements tied in with why I continued to stay there. And almost at the point where it became so torturous, I'd also then cut off my family, cut off my friends. And actually, the only other person than my children I saw on a daily basis was him. So how the hell am I going to escape that?
0: Yeah, the isolation is awful.
1: Utterly, utterly isolated. It was horrendous. But I didn't use that word abuse until I began to study it. Yeah. And then it was literally, I was going, I remember looking at um, the original coercive control model, which is by a guy called Biderman, which was um, developed from studying male prisoners of war, incidentally. It had nothing to do with Evan Stark, uh, who's taken it as a feminist model. But I remember going through it, and literally it was like a tick list of what my life was. And I think almost we need to get to the point with the police where we say, here is a tick list, hand it to them and ask them, does any of this seem familiar to you? Yeah. Because, And don't frame it as a question of, are you being coercively controlled? But Because quite, quite frankly, John, there's a shitload of psychologists out there that haven't got a fucking clue what coercive control is. So how would, uh, how would anyone else? Yeah. So we need to get to the point of literally back to basics that says, have a look at this list. Are, of are, any of those behaviors been, have happened to you? You know, take out all the jargon, take out perpetrator and victim, take out criminal law, domestic abuse or all that, and go, any of this familiar? And I yeah. bet if you put that in front of anyone, Woman, man, child, and then they just go, yeah, 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 yeah. And you score that, and at the bottom of it, you'll go, I'm I'm really sorry, but this indicates coercive control. Yeah. And that's the level we need to be at, because all these really malleable, up-in-the-air concepts don't mean anything to people that are being abused.
0: So stop trying to complicate it and simplify it.
1: Every single time I ask a really simple question, John, the data comes flooding in.
0: Yeah. And if,
1: I don't know if you've looked at my survey, but if you look, I have, yeah. it's really simple questions.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: It's really bog standard because all I need to know is why did you feel you had to stay? What made you leave? What was it that happened? What was this? I'm, I don't need to say, in your opinion, of all the coercive control that may have happened to you, because it doesn't mean anything to anyone. Yeah. That's my job now. My job now is to take that data and mine the arse out of it and turn it into information that I can put out to politics, put out to the policy makers, put out to the funders and, and people like the police and say... When you're talking about coercive control, this is what it looks like. This is what happens to these men. You know, you might be looking at someone who's five foot one, and I am five foot one, but what does that matter if she's pouring a boiling kettle over someone who's asleep?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: And this is the kind of information, and I am, you know me, John, I am gobby, I shout this stuff. And I intend to take it and shout about it. It needs getting out there. And, and men really need to know that people are listening. And I also yeah. think, and I'm, I'm trying not to be sexist here, but I think you'll if you take it in the format I mean it, you'll know what I mean. I don't actually think men can break this. I think it has to come from women. I think women... And there's I know plenty of them. We need to stand up for men. We need to stand up and say to this gendered ideology, you are wrong. You are wrong on so many levels. You are ignoring men. You are ignoring, you're ignoring male victims because clearly we are. You don't think they exist. By proxy of that, you're also excluding female perpetrators which means that there is no support mechanisms for female perpetrators and they are told they are the victims so they will continue to live in violence and they'll go from one relationship to the other one initiating and colluding in violence and we know from data and research that one of the strongest indicators of a woman being physically hurt is her instigating domestic abuse so you're condemning that woman to be at higher risk of physical abuse by not giving her a a perpetrator program you are ignoring you are damaging women through not providing effective male perpetrator programs because it's all based on the Duluth model that we just need to tell men that they shouldn't hit women and again no shit Sherlock everyone knows you shouldn't hit everyone knows that violence is atrocious so I think telling someone not to be violent is not really effective. You are letting down female victims that they use as cattle to gain more funding, because you are not providing effective support for um, perpetrators to to be um, effectively um, get their behaviour uh, adapted, so so they can live without violence. So you're putting more women in it at risk, but also you are putting out the message that women are victimized because they are women. So one of the questions I was asked by a woman on Twitter was, how do I know if a potential partner isn't a perpetrator? And I I, I was literally gobsmacked. (laughs) I was looking at this tweet thinking, you're not taking the piss. You're asking me a genuine question. So I'm going to answer you genuinely and say to you, perpetrators are not the norm and if i do a rough and ready uh calculation of say the the number of women that are abused and divide that excuse me by the number of men in the uk over 18 it works out of less than one percent of men are abusing their partner and then I often try to get silence with people telling me two women a week are murdered, um, which is horrific, but which is, incidentally is statistically wrong. Um, but again, if I do the same calculation of two women a week murdered by divided by men over eighteen in the UK, that works out at something like zero point zero 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 three nine of a percent of men that are murdering their partner so how does that horrific as it is and as disgusting and abhorrent as it is how does that justify ignoring the recorded 786,000 male victims of domestic abuse
0: yeah exactly
1: and how does that compare to other things that we don't use to wipe men off the 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 radar what about road traffic accidents? Because last, I think this year the late, latest numbers are 80 women were killed. But the year before that was 63 women were killed. And again, every single murder is tragic and abhorrent. But that's pretty close to zero when there's 32 million women in the UK. Yeah. And no one's saying that. And I guarantee, John, if you said that, you'd be accused of misogyny.
0: No, oh, definitely. Definitely. And when,
1: uh, and when I say it, I get attacked, but I don't really give a shit. I'm telling <laughs> you fact. I'm telling you fact. You're judging all men and your life, women not going out at night, women asking strangers on Twitter, how do I know if he's not a perpetrator? That comes directly from this ideological model that, all men are potential perpetrators because men perpetrate violence against women because they are women.
0: Well, can I throw a scenario at you then about that question? Uh-huh. thinking about it. If the woman, and I know, I know a woman who's been through this. If that woman who's asked you that question has had nothing but abuse, the woman, the woman in question that, that I know every single uh the mother was an abuser yeah the the, uh, first second and third boyfriend were all abusers yeah so doesn't that in the victim's head make abuse the norm
1: yes and all right well i sometimes reduce things to very simple examples but that is in no way to diminish the suffering that they have been through, but to give an example, if you're um, when you're growing up as a kid, you're in your house, and your norm is everything that goes on in that house, and I mean everything from the way the house smells to um, how what you have for dinner, what time you get up, what washing powder your mum uses um how much time you spend with each parent there's a normal aspect to your behavior and then one day when you're old enough you go to a sleepover to your friend's house and your friend's house smells differently i'm not saying bad or anything else it just has a different smell about it they eat slightly different food to you they may eat in front of the tv where you eat at the table or vice versa um they they have different rules and regulations and and all sorts of things happen right and then you re- you suddenly realize as a child oh they do things differently from us so let's take that to something horrific like abuse so if you're brought up in up in a family where you are constantly abused how would you know if someone's life's different if you've not spent time with them so you just get to the point where abuse becomes the norm and which means that you might tolerate abuse more than someone who hasn't been in that uh, had an an abusive upbringing but there's a symbiotic relationship between victim and perpetrator if certainly if the the violence is unidirectional and I know this because in my master's um i was um studying psychopathy and i was reading very early on in my masters i was reading a kind of pop psychology uh book about called the wisdom of uh psychopaths it's a really easy read and um it's really interesting by a guy called kevin dutton i think anyway um within that there is uh there was a a reference to a paper by a woman called Angela Buck, and she did uh, research on psychopaths and how they target victims. And what they do, what she did is uh, she was, she's an academic and she set up a camera outside of her office at university that filmed people walking away from the camera. So just the back of them walking away. And then she, um, interviewed the people that didn't know they were being recorded, interviewed them and got consent for them to be involved and asked them if they'd ever been victims of interpersonal violence. So any kind of violence from mugging, uh, partner abuse, uh, sexual abuse or all sorts of and anything to do with violence of the person. Then she took all that data and went and interviewed psychopaths in high-security prison in America. So you're talking like quite serious-level psychopaths here. And then she asked them to, from the films that she was showing them, uh, which people they would target for, whether it was uh, murder, sexual abuse or rape, uh, mugging them, whatever, who they would target. And a really, I can't remember the exact numbers, but a really high proportion of the time they targeted people that had been previously victimized. So they could target vulnerability from the way someone walked. So I imagine that the woman that you're talking about is quite vulnerable, having endured a life of abuse. Yeah. And I imagine there are men out there that either consciously or unconsciously recognize that. So they target her. And because I don't believe that it's patriarchy that is responsible for this level of abuse, my recommendation would be that what we need to do for the woman that you know is really work on her self-esteem, really work on helping her positively adapt, knowing her worth. And I i would even go so far in my research to say things like a, an Alexandra technique, which is all about posture and the way you walk and the way you sit. Um, to Because we all know if you if you're depressed, you kind of slouch over and you go in on yourself and you close in. And sorry, but I'm getting a bit psychology on this. But if you if you sit back and you raise your art, your shoulders are back and your heads are held high. And that's only a really small part. I'm not saying that is any way gonna unpick all these years of abuse. But there's a layered approach that needs to be taken with her recovery. But telling her that she's been victim because she's a she victimized because she's a woman is I believe equally if well, it's, it's certainly going to add to the abuse that she sustained because how the hell is she going to overcome that? Yeah. So the difference, I believe, in in my opinion, is that telling that woman, oh, it's because you're a woman and it's because of the patriarchy, is about as helpful as a chocolate teapot. You know, but... With someone that that understands that this is not about patriarchy, this is about violence and aggression and trauma and all the various aspects to that, I would be saying she is in no way responsible for that abuse, but there is agency here where she clearly spots that she's going through this pattern and she's taking agency for that. So what can what can we do to help that woman not have to endure a life of ongoing abuse yeah and that's the difference the difference between the gender inclusive model is about addressing all these particular levels of abuse and, and victim victimization as opposed to oh it's patriarchy
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know it's, to me it's all my, almost like saying you know, it's the equivalent of send thoughts and prayers yeah. <laughs> do you see what I mean? Rather yeah, than just yeah, rolling the yeah. sleeves up and saying, I mean, I, I, I think that, that woman could get some great help. And she she's obviously aware of something that's going on in her life, but this is not going to happen by trying to overturn the mythical patriarchy. She's not going to get better from that happening. She's only going to get better if people recognise that, we need not only to understand that she has agency, but we need to work on it so that she has more faith in her own agency.
0: Yeah.
1: Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And how, what do you think are the benefits of your, your study then? How, well, how can, um, how can I, it help the situation?
1: I fully intend to deliver this to um, not only it to academia and conference, um, but I intend to um, deliver it to the particular countries that have contributed to this. So I've, I've already got lined up sharing the data with um, Australia um, through politics, law and journalism. Um, do exactly the same here do the same in um, America and currently looking at contacts in India because I think what tends to happen with a lot of information is that it it disappears into the academia and never really hits the impact spots as it were so I'm going to deliver a copy of this to the Ministry of Justice I'm going to send it to well, I'd like to do it by hand to Priti Patel. And I, I, I want to deliver it to number 10. I'm also going to send it to the Victims Commissioner and the Domestic Abuse Commissioner um, because then they can't deny they've ever seen this. And the sad thing is, is it's often denied. But I'm just going to keep banging on about it. And journalists are interested Um there's various people interested outside of academia because I'm now currently sat on one of the biggest data sets regarding male victims of partner abuse and it's my intention to get it out there as widely as possible
0: fantastic
1: I've got a big uh, house John
0: (laughs) (laughs) well that's good that's good we need we need people to shout their lungs off don't we yeah yeah and because you, you have, what was it, 1,300 surveys completed?
1: Yeah, 1,340, yeah. And, what, and like, what is, like I said, you know, in, in world numbers, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you can compare it to, so for example, there's a, an academic that um, in Australia that I used to argue a lot with on Twitter Um, I blocked him whilst I was doing this survey (laughs) because I had um, better things to spend my time on. Um, But his entire PhD in Australia was based on the study of 17 men and their use of condoms. Yet he is seen as an expert on men and masculinity. So that's that's the level of numbers that people get. PhDs that particular person got a phd on one study based on 17 men and we're currently sat on a database of 1340 male victims of partner abuse
0: what why do you think if you if you were uh, you know there's that many men worldwide as you said filling in the survey why aren't men more vocal because obviously filling in your survey they're admitting they they've been abused but why why are they not more vocal about it
1: well i think there's a number of reasons some we've spoken about in you know about recognizing and whatever but i think there's two distinct areas for me is one is that i think men um are concerned that they're going to be turned into perpetrators um and we've seen that for example with the respect toolkit that Uh, is a document, I think it's a 107-page document that is set up to tell agencies how to deal with male victims of abuse. And this is the organisation that runs the Men's Advice Line. And on page 10, paragraph 4 of that document, they start talking about all terrorists are men. And I've asked the author why are you talking about men as terrorists in a document that's supposed to be helping vulnerable men? And he started off by saying that, oh, it's just an example of men's use of violence. And again, I said, why are you using the example of men's violence in a document that's supposed to be helping men that have been victims of violence? And then um, he said he was told by a higher order not to engage with me. So he clearly had a phone call as we were interacting on um, Twitter. But I've asked myself this question, and the question is, why have male victims of abuse filled in my particular survey? And I think the answer is trust. Yeah. I think the men that have filled in my survey trust me, or they know someone that trusts me, because people have followed me for a, number, a couple of years now, and they've seen the messages that i put out on social media and the or been to a conference or watched a youtube interview of me and realized that i don't have a um feminist agenda i have a, a domestic abuse agenda and by that i mean i think it's a an issue for everyone that needs to be tackled from that angle and it's not just an issue for women or feminism. In fact, I would drag feminism right out of this as an issue because it's harmful. So I think the issue is that men need to feel they can trust people in this arena, and rightly so, because on a personal level, I'm sure some of these men have tried to, well, I know, they've told me, they've tried to disclose In the past and been either laughed at dismissed or accused of being the perpetrator and I think also some men have contributed to surveys in the past and that data set has been used against them yeah so I think the reason my survey has been so successful and I'm humbled by this is that the participants trust me yeah. And I think that's sadly lacking across the domestic bu- abuse industry for men.
0: Yeah, I think trust is massively important. Belief is massively important too. Yeah. You know, And I know that you, when somebody tells you a story, you believe them. Like, and so yeah. that's huge. As a victim, that's huge.
1: You see, my brain works kind of backwards in as much as I, I, I still find it funny how someone wouldn't believe them.
0: Yeah. It's
1: not about me believing them. It's about why wouldn't you believe them? You know, it's that... Yeah, but I, that's I, rare.
0: That is rare.
1: Yes, I, I know. But again, I find that bizarre. You know, why? Just because they're men, wouldn't you believe them? That's yes. that's the very epitome of sexism. Yeah, you know, it's um I find it bizarre that feminism has become a caricature of what it started out as. You know, if you talk to Erin, Erin Pitsy, she started out as a feminist. And because she didn't agree with the dogma, not only did she get excommunicated from the feminist movement. She got excommunicated from the very organization she'd set up and had to leave the country at one point because people killed her dog and threatened to send bombs through the post
0: Jesus
1: you know so this is um this is a movement that is abusive
0: yeah very you know, dangerous. and i
1: I've, I've I've been contacted by women that have uh been and again, I'm doing the inverted commas thing helped by mm. these organisations that, yeah. have, that, have, have, that have actually said to me if they knew what they were going to go through in particularly one in a shelter, if they knew what they were going to go through, they wouldn't have left the abusive relationship. Jeez. So this is why when I actually say I believe that the gendered model and the feminist dogma in this industry is harmful for everyone. I'm not just saying it because I because I'm making this up. I'm saying it because I've got the evidence to back it up. Yeah. But then I get called all sorts of things for it. But like I, I don't
0: said, think I, mean, you... I was just gonna say, I don't think you're bothered about that though, are you?
1: <laughs> no, to the point that we, I'm now saving all the insults and stuff because myself and my supervisor are going to write a paper on it. Yeah. No, I was. Yeah. I, I put out a tweet yesterday that I, I've been mulling over that there's a push towards making misogyny a hate crime. And um, I yeah. put out a tweet with... Um, let me let me try and find what i said i asked uh, three distinct questions that i've been mulling over about this idea that misogyny should be a hate crime and um i said so if there is a push to make misogyny a hate crime what happens when and i've given three example examples one i get accused of being a misogynist when i challenge the gendered model which i often am okay and the reason is that is that misogyny And if it is, how am I going to get prosecuted being a woman? But also, if it's not misogyny and I'm being accused of committing a crime, is that then defamation and I can sue the person calling me a misogynist? (laughs) So number two, I get accused of possessing internalised misogyny. So is that a self-hate crime and would I get prosecuted for that? (laughs)
0: <laughs> and then
1: third and finally Although there's probably more questions behind this If a feminist calls me A patriarchal bootlicker Or asks ask me if I'm a real woman Which does happen Are they as feminists Then misogynists as well And do they get prosecuted for a hate crime Because I'm a woman <laughs> <laughs> Do you see how They've yeah. not thought this through
0: They've
1: clearly clearly started thinking once again in their dogmatic manner that misogyny is a hate crime by men against women. Where, hand on heart, John, absolute honesty, I receive shitloads of abuse and not one of it has been from a man.
0: Yeah.
1: Every single one of them has been from a woman. And a woman actually asked me once because they played that I'm a survivor. So I know everything when they were talking about a gendered process. And I wrote back, well, I too am a survivor and I don't agree with that because of this, this, this and this. And she actually said to me, you don't sound like a victim.
0: Don't sound like one.
1: Yeah. And this is a woman who (laughs) says she's a victim of abuse, who says me too." believe all women but if I don't agree with her shitty dogma, then she then doesn't believe me. Can you right. imagine what would happen if a man said that to a woman? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yeah,
0: it's so absolutely that's... ridiculous.
1: So is that misogyny? You know, the, the, the hypocrisy within this is yeah.
0: just...
1: I I The reason I fight for men is because I think... The, the the focus on men is absolutely 3,000% needed. But I think it's also the key to unlocking the actual focus and actions required to start effectively tackling domestic abuse in, in this country and, from what the research is telling me, the world. the The fact that this narrative has persisted for the length of time it has is because it's abusive and it's nasty and it's vicious and it's greedy and harmful. <coughs> I think on some levels it helps women in the immediacy following you know, if they want to escape but I think ultimately it's toxic harmful and contributes to the whole issue of domestic abuse yeah i don't think i can be any any clearer than that i i think it's abhorrent in absolutely every element of it and if if anything needs dismantling it's that
0: so what now what what is next for you
1: uh well we're gonna get the coercive control um, survey out. We're going to crunch all the numbers. When I say we, I mean me. Uh, okay. I, I like crunching numbers. So um, We're going to get the papers out. We're going to get them published. Um, I'm presenting this at the virtual ICMI in November. Um, I will, for want of a better phrase, tour this data, make sure it gets out there. Um, I'm going to deliver a copy to the people that I've listed previously and um, get this information out there and keep plugging away on it.
0: Fantastic. Awesome. I hope so. <laughs> well, it's, thank you for talking to me today. It's, it's been fascinating. Oh,
1: that's that's brilliant. Thank, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're more than welcome. And um, I wish all the best with, with the survey and the results. And um, when you get some feedback, I hope you'll come on the show and talk Absolutely. about feedback. Absolutely. I'd about. love to, yeah. Okay, thanks, Deborah.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: Take care now. Bye bye. Hello, and thank you for listening. I'd like to thank Deborah Powney for her input and support today and for a fascinating conversation. I'd also like to thank all my guests that have appeared on the show so far for bravely telling their stories. I hope that more men will come forward and talk on the show because it needs to be out there. Male victims of abuse are not a myth. It is so, so real. And this show provides a safe and non-judgmental environment for which to tell your story. So come on to the show. Tell your story, get it out there. Together we can defeat this. No more silence. Until next week, take care. Peace.